We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macro, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Uh, I am going to uh, dispense with the usual filibustering because we have a great pod for you today. I reached out to Jared Dubin. Jared, if you are a fan of the NBA, certainly if you're a fan of the Knicks, um, and actually if you're a fan of sports because he covers the NFL uh, now too, you know who Jared is. He puts out some of the uh, best writing, best content period that is out there. Uh, his current endeavor is a newsletter on Substack called Last Night in Basketball, in which he has written about the Knicks a lot lately. Um, there are really not many people who know the Knicks and um, think about the Knicks and understand the Knicks better than Jared. So, uh, And we just finished the conversation. Unsurprisingly, it was awesome. I think you're really going to enjoy this. Here is my conversation with... Jared Dubin. Joining me now, first time guest, although my goodness, have I been a fan of this person for a very, very, very long time back when he was writing about um, the Knicks uh, as as part of his like regular course of business. He still writes about them, but now he also writes about all the other NBA teams, which is a gift to anyone who loves the league. Um, he's probably most, most well known at this point for being part of the coverage of, uh, the NFL at CBS, but I still, um, get him, uh, always for his NBA takes on Substack. You can find his stuff at last night in basketball, uh, go to last night or just search for Substack and put in last night in basketball or his name, Jared Dubin. How you doing, my man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate both that you made me sound extremely old by talking about how long you've been reading my stuff for. And I mean, that, it's uh, true. You know, <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely true. And I think the people at CBS will definitely appreciate that. Uh, people know me more for my NFL work at CBS, which is flat out not true. But uh, <laughs> I mean, it's but I think CBS. they'll appreciate you saying that. They're, they're, it's a big deal. I, I you know. CBS will never hire me. I can promise you that. So you're, <laughs> you're one step ahead of the game. Um, all right. So I, I asked you before we went on um, if you had a box of tissues handy because I want to hit on a couple of things, but obviously, you know, talk about the trade. Um, 
You wrote it. I don't even have to put words in your mouth. You wrote it that Emmanuel Quickly is your favorite Nick. So before we get into like any analysis, I'm going to ask you actually t- two questions. One, did you watch any or, or... Well, actually, no, I know you watched it because you wrote about it. So you watched the Raptors' first game with Quickly and RJ. Uh, how are your emotions today, the day after that? Honestly, the thing that... Uh, the overriding feeling I've had the last couple of days is that I'm really mad at the Knicks that I don't get to be really mad at them for the Emmanuel mm. Quickly trade. Like, mm. I've been gearing myself up to be like so vitriolic for months and months about them trading Emmanuel quickly for someone that I don't like. And like, how could they do this? It's such a stupid trade. And it's like, they traded for another one of my favorite players in the league in, in OG Ananobi, who I've loved for a really long time, going back to when he was at Indiana. And they also like, they traded for the exact guy that they've needed for this particular team for such a long time. Like the thing that they've been missing above anything else has been that sort of big wing Swiss Army knife defender that they could throw at the best wings in the league, which is exactly what we saw them do in his first game yesterday against Anthony Edwards. Like they had a bunch of really good wings, but they were all on the smaller side. Even RJ, who, you know, was six seven and built well, he was not the guy that you throw at the best big wings. And OG is that. Like if there was anything that they needed other than like the guy who's the number yeah. one star that by himself is the reason that you contend they needed like the archetype that OG Ananobi is if not the best version of then pretty close to it. And it annoys me that the Knicks traded Emmanuel quickly for that. Cause I don't even get to be that mad about the quickly trade now. Like it's just, they robbed me of, of what I wanted if they were going to eventually trade him. So my favorite part of that, and it shows this, sir, is not your first rodeo. You managed to slip in there, not once but twice, that this is the Emmanuel quickly trade as opposed to the OG and OB trade. And, and I'm going to, I wanted to, I, I was happy you did that because the first thing I wanted to start off with, I feel like when the trade went down, it was a hot take to say that. And the first people that came out with articles and things and like said it on podcasts, like, actually, you know what? This is going to go down to the Emmanuel Quigley trade. It was, I, I think the consensus, not that I've been on Twitter a whole lot the last few days, but I think the consensus was like, huh, that's an interesting take. And I think we, in the span of however many hours it's been, 48 hours or maybe whatever, it's 72 hours, whatever it's been. Like, I don't think you could even argue that that's a hot, take anymore i think the numbers are what they are for quickly like you cited in your newsletter in response to the trade like the per 36 numbers are what they are you specifically went deep on some of the pick and roll numbers about i think it was him and hartenstein were those the numbers you cited yeah uh him and hartenstein had been i think like the sixth or seventh most efficient pick and roll duo in the yeah. league among high volume duos. And it was like the only Raptors duo that was on there was Schroeder and Pirtle and they were last. Yeah. <laughs> so like, so like for any questions people have, and even quickly said his introductory press conference, like I need to become a better passer. Like when they asked him, like, what do you want to improve on? He's like, I want to pass more. I, I, I know I need to pass more here. I was more of a scorer in New York. I want to pass more here. So like, like he's going to be awesome. And I've kind of flipped now the other way where it's like, we know the Knicks gave up an incredible 
player or a guy who's going to look incredible in the Raptors. And like from the Raptors perspective, like I guess it's interesting to talk about like what they got for OG and Obi, but I don't, I don't, we, if you want to touch on that, we could t- touch on it. I don't even find that that interesting to me. Now the interesting part of the trade comes with what you just said, which is that, okay, the Knicks got this piece and they gave up this other guy to get him. And it's that cost benefit analysis and everything that goes into that from the perspective of like, how much should we talk about what the Knicks did or did not do to maximize Emmanuel quickly here? And that's where I kind of want to start with you versus like, I don't know if this is going to come off the wrong way, but like, does it matter? Like, was was the OGP so important to any possible end goal that they had that involved being a contender that almost like it, like you see where I'm getting at? Like they cut, it was it would have tra- been a trade they needed to do anyway. And I'm not sure I'm there, but that's kind of where I want to start. And I'll let you take it like anywhere you want to go. Yeah, I think that's an interesting way to think about it. I do think that they needed to get like an OG type of guy to be a real contender. And I think they knew that. That's why they've been targeting him for so long. Um, and I do think that they tried to get sort of facsimiles of that guy. Like you can say like, maybe Josh Hart could be that kind of guy, but it's not the same. He's not as big. He's not as good individually defensively. He's not as good a shooter or uh, as willing a shooter. Um, except in the instances where he is, which is like driving on fast breaks and he's going to shoot that Euro step up every single time. Um, but I, I do think you need that kind of guy. I think you've seen that over the last several years, like the teams that win the title, they always have that type of guy that they can throw. Like Andrew Wiggins turned into that kind of guy for the Warriors uh, a couple of years ago. PJ Tucker was that guy when the Bucks won, um, you know, Aaron Gordon and, you know, even Bruce Brown is a little bit smaller, but turned into the sort of guy that you can do that with on smaller wings. But Aaron Gordon was really that kind of guy for the Nuggets. Like you need that three, four hybrid guy that can defend all of the best wings. Did they need to sacrifice Emmanuel quickly to get that guy? I think is obviously an interesting and connected question. And I don't think it's really a question like, did they maximize Emmanuel quickly? The answer to that is very obviously no. Like they were playing him 24 minutes a game this year, five minutes less than he played last year when he was the sixth man of the year runner up. And this is something that I wrote about in my thoughts on the trade too. Like, I think it's, can I curse? You could say whatever the fuck you want. Okay. I think it's kind of bullshit to analyze a trade by saying like they were never going to give quickly the minutes or the playing time or, or the contract that he wanted. And therefore it's good. I don't think that that's a good place to start from, but I also don't think you can analyze it from their perspective without acknowledging that reality because they were just never going to play him and Brunson enough minutes together to justify the kind of investment that his play clearly deserves. And that is sort of the motivating reason behind why they wanted to do something like this in the first place. So it's like all of the things that that you brought up there sort of not cannibalize each other, but they all combine together into, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to know how to feel because it's all sort of competing and pulling each other in different directions. I think cannibalizing each other is the perfect term because like, I don't, that's that's where I'm. I don't know how to have the one conversation without the other conversation, and like, okay, I mean, let's just get into it. Like, in terms of maximizing 
I mean, I, I don't want to push through the ringer because it's been a rough few years if you've been a huge fan of Emmanuel Quickly. And I look, I'll give myself like a slight pat on the back. I've I came out and like called him a star in plain sight. I think I don't know if I was one of the earliest people to do that, but I definitely like went out and said it. I was like, oh, my God, is this guy have like all star potential if he got more more time or anything? I mean, shit, I was, I'm writing a piece now for, for my Substack about the top 10 quickly in RJ moments. And I had to include the first preseason game. Not the, well, not the first preseason game. He actually got time in the two preseason games, but like the Cavs preseason game where he went out and scored, I think it was 11 points in the first quarter and like looked like a point guard. I included that because watching that game, I remember watching that game and I was like, oh my God, what is this? We haven't seen this in, in like decades. And it was crazy. So I kind of want to like just take a quick step back through like memory lane. Like, what do you have like one most egregious? moment or thing that they did or did not do or like a starting point where you started to get really frustrated like what's your thought process there okay um i I remember so i remember specifically not watching that preseason game because i try not to get caught up in like oh my god this guy is doing this in the preseason and i can't believe i haven't seen this before and i remember my my friends texting me about it being like do you see what this quickly guy is doing right now and i'd be like no i i don't watch preseason specifically so i don't have this reaction um but i would say the the first thing that stands out to me is so pre-draft he was one of the the guys that were in the first round mix that i hadn't watched before they drafted him so i went and watched him that night and i remember telling my one friend who was like really really into draft stuff i was like this guy is better than the guy that they drafted at number eight. <laughs> that was like my first takeaway from watching him for the first time. I was like, this, this dude is, is at the, at the very least, I thought he has the skill set to be a good offensive player. And then I think it was either the second or third game of his career where there were a couple of times where he sort of, he had hit a three early in the game and he pump faked and drove and got into his floater. I don't even think the floaters went in. And I was like the way that he's able to leverage what he does with his shot to get into the drive and floater game. I told that same friend, I was like, this dude's just good. Like three games into his career. And I very rarely say that about rookies, especially rookies that are, you know, coming off the bench, not getting very many minutes early on. Like he was, I was like, this dude knows how to play offense and through his first season that was mostly what it was about when i was at summer league the next summer and they had him Uh, running the point i remember that and i was like (laughs) he didn't shoot well but he was averaging like 10 assists a game or something and it was like they had maybe the worst shooting team i've ever seen in the history of summer league and it was like he should have had so many more assists and i wrote a story for 538 at the time about the two good for summer league guys which is, you know, sort of an archetype you see. And it was like him, Maxi, a couple other guys fit this sort of criteria that we developed over the years of like guys that play really well for two or three games and then get shut down. Um, But they didn't get shut down that year because there was no summer league the year before. So teams were having their second year guys play more. Mm. Uh, It was like him, Maxi, Desmond Bain, a couple other guys. Uh, My dog is... uh, trying to come into this right now he's just i mean me listen i we don't limit <laughs> emmanuel quickly love to just people he's yeah. just i mean he's, he's he's that he brings that much joy so yeah it's but fine. that that summer league was when i saw like the expansion of what he could be as an offensive player and then obviously over the last 
two plus years is when you saw so much more of what he could be as a defender. Yeah. Um, you know, specifically as a team defender, which is not something that young players and young guards, especially typically stand out for. Um, and you know, like he's just a guy that almost from the beginning I was in on, um, do you want to come up Bodie? You know what's so funny right now? I, not to stop you, you have your dog in the bottom right. Yeah, of your and I screen, can see your daughter in the background. And I have yeah. my daughter in the bottom right <laughs> of my screen who's looking for something and she doesn't know what she's looking for. All of which is to say the, the the moments for quickly at least that stand out for me are the night he was drafted when I hadn't watched him yet, the second or third game of his career when he like missed a couple floaters, and then summer league into his second and third years of his career was when I sort of started to see the expansion of like, okay, this is what I thought. And maybe it's even more than that. Um, yeah. So a favorite of mine for a while, RJ, I was, uh, I'm going pretty long winded here. RJ, I was, I no, was I love it. <laughs> not lower than consensus, but lower than the, the biggest fans of his coming into the league. I sort of always thought that he should be more of a second side attacker that uses his strength to get to the rim rather than the guy that you run your offense through. So it wasn't a yeah. disappointment to me when he became more of that kind of player. I was That's what I thought of him in the first place. Um, but obviously, over the last, there have been so many stretches where it's like, all right, this is it. He looks like it's he's coming. finally figured out. It's Immediately coming. followed by the stretches of, you know, like, what is this guy doing? Like, when is he ever going to figure things out? And that already st- that process already started with Raptors fans in his first game. I saw someone say, like, if this is the RJ they can get every night, which is like maybe the most common refrain in like my you know Nick fan friends um, yeah. <clears throat> group chat of like, if this is the RJ they can get every night, that's like, I-, I feel bad that they're already on that train. Well, listen, I f- I mean the most the most famous words in all of Nick's fandom over the last few years. He's only, <laughs> and now it's <laughs> it's only what is it? He's only. 23. Okay. Still, yeah. you can still say it with a straight face. You can't really get away with he's only 24, right? Like, <laughs> you're you're pushing it with he's only 23, but you could say he's only 23, but he is only 23. I Look, I, I, like you, was lower on consensus than RJ, which is an opinion that probably first developed. Speaking about, like, pre-draft stuff, I remember I did a, a pre-draft pod with uh, Spencer Perlman, who was, like, our draft guy uh, at the time. And I was like, so if you had to characterize this draft in like 30 seconds or left or less, how, how would you do it? And I think this is before the next, I think it was before the lottery. And he's like, and he was less high on Morant than everybody else. So, and the Morant, like, like snowball hadn't really started going down the hill either. So maybe this was even like during the season, like middle of the college basketball season. I don't remember, but he was like, there's Zion. And then there's a huge chasm and a giant ocean and then another chasm. And then there's RJ and everybody else. I'm like, oh, okay. And then, you know, RJ came out and he had his season. And I just remember like constantly feeling the same way you felt, which is like kind of underwhelmed. And that's kind of where this divide between me and the large, I think, segment of the fan base started where I never just got on the train and like the emotional train of like believing because I don't think I ever truly believed. So like the signs, they wouldn't suck me back in as much as like, give me a little hope quickly though. Again, speaking about pre-draft stuff, same, same guy, Spencer. I was like, you send me some tape of Tyrese Maxey because Tyrese Maxey was the guy at the time who I thought was maybe on their, their radar. And I forget what game or games he sent me, 
but I watched and then I texted him. I'm like, I mean, Maxi had some nice moments. Who's the other kid? Like, who's the quickly kid? And I think it was like the second half of the year when like in that season is when he really found it. Because like, I think what was it? Calipari took him off the ball. Right. And like it was right. like more running. Yeah, Maxie back has the point guard. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, whoa. And then and then for me, it was like the Portland game. Like, yeah, we saw some, like the, the Cleveland preseason game and then some of the other early stuff that you referenced. And then the Portland game is like, man, you either have that or you don't. And then everything that happened from That's there. The game where he- Scored thirty for the first time. Yeah. I remember thinking. Yeah. I remember saying to someone, "I was like, the odds you could have gotten on Emmanuel quickly scoring thirty before RJ Barrett scored thirty in their careers probably would have been pretty pretty high." And it wasn't only that he scored thirty; he scored twenty one points in the fourth quarter. Um, and but I think they got within within like three, but ended up losing. But like. And then from there, I, I don't know. The here's there's two moments I think I'll always well, I don't even know if it's two. It's really one. It's really one. And it's and it's a it's look, I, I don't know if you know this about me. I'm a massive Tom Thibodeau fan, like a bigger fan of Tom Thibodeau than anyone has any right to be about any coach. Can't really fully explain it. It's just one of those things. I've I own it at least though. To this day, I cannot explain or rationalize or understand or like anything. Why with, I don't know if you want to call it 30 games left in the season. I don't know if you want to call it 40 games left in the season. I don't know if you want to call it 80 or how many games was in that year? The can be year 70 was, I forget if that was a 72 uh, game 72, year. Yeah. It was, okay. Or with 72 games left in the season, they didn't just, they didn't just hand over the keys. Like once it was apparent that Kemba was, it was not, it was not happening. Like I understand, like there's a culture around the garden of like, like you're like always got to be winning, and like they they were never. I don't think this regime in a and I include Thibodeau with that in a position to like take a step back. And I guess he thought that would be a step back, but that's the one. That's the one I'll always kind of wonder. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think that was a theme throughout his career. You know, he got off to a good start that rookie year, and Alfred Payton looked awful. So. Instead of giving him more, they went and traded for Derrick Rose. And then the next year, they signed Kemba and signed Fournier. And when it was clear Kemba wasn't happening, they start Alec Burks. And then going into the next year, they bring in, uh, you know, bringing in Jalen Brunson has been obviously like the best thing that the Knicks have done in, I don't know, since they drafted Patrick Ewing or something like that. That's like, <laughs> you know, but they, they had an opportunity to give quickly the keys then too and didn't. Um, you know, they had plenty of opportunities this year to give him more responsibility. They had two starters out at a time, and they didn't give him more more of a role or more responsibility. They signed Dante this offseason, um, you know, and that obviously took away from his role. They, they've been trying to tell us what they think of him yeah. for a while. Um, you know, so in addition to that, I'd also go with the Boston game last year, by the way, as another oh, thing. That well, that, you know, that um, was, it's, yeah, the, it's is it like, not the number one. It's the number one quick. I don't even. Yeah, think it's, it has to be like yeah. there. There are probably some moments where it's like, uh, you know, quickly took a twenty-eight foot three in transition, and Tibbs immediately gave him the hook when <laughs> you know three possessions earlier, someone else did the same thing and stayed out there. That would stand yeah. out for me too. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This kind of brings us back to the trade because you brought up this year as like, I don't know if you want to call it the final straw or like when the writing was really on the wall, even though it's been on the wall for three and a half years. Um, I, and this is your, I don't think you're going to agree with this, but I'm going to put it out there anyway, as a, as a, as a, just a thought exercise. And this is the one thing where I personally can't get past. And I, I have a feeling you, you, again, you might feel differently, but I'm going to ask you about it internally. And I don't know if this is just Tibbs. I don't think Tibbs has this much power because I think they do try to make decisions as a as a group, and they have a God knows they have a lot of voices, and I don't know how productive that always is, but whatever. Um, I just don't think that they starting to, well before Brunson got there. I don't think they viewed him quickly as a potential starting point guard, and then after Brunson got there, I don't think they viewed that backcourt as a tenable starting backcourt on a team that could contend for a championship. And like the reason I, I can't, I have trouble killing them for that is because I just like, you could count the number of small backcourts that have really contended at a high level on one hand. And they usually come with caveats, like finding a go a guard duo, like Fred Van Vliet and Kyle Lowry, who could guard like those dudes guards. Like you just like, they were two of the best small guard defenders in the entire league. Um, and Vliet didn't start that year. You're right. And Vliet didn't even start. Yeah, that's a great that's a great call. Um, so I get it, but then it's like, all right, so you, so and this is, but this is where I I think favor more towards the people who are like this, the most ridiculous thing I ever heard, because let's say you 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 think you could foresee the finish line, and let's say you have magic powers, and you're like, this isn't going to work. One, it doesn't justify not giving it a try in certain circumstances and we could talk about like how plentiful those circumstances was or, or were over the last hundred games since we got Brunson got there but then like more than that it's like we there's a lot of shit that could happen in the course of trying to get to the finish line so like to not do it because you're fully convinced it's not going to work okay maybe not but like there's more you know there's more than one way to, to the Skin a cat, and but but then I go back the other way, and I'm like, but they got OG out of it. So how much can I really be mad about it? And I, ultimately, I'm not. So that's that's kind of where I'm at. And I'll you know, yeah, see where you. Yeah, think. no, I have a lot of the same thoughts. I think that it's. I think it's very clear that initially they didn't view him as a starting caliber player. I think it's very clear that they didn't think that a starting backcourt of him and Brunson was was workable over the long term or or even in the short term. I firmly disagree that it wasn't workable in the short term. If it wasn't workable, it wouldn't have crushed so many teams whenever they shared the court together. You know, like if it was just flat out untenable to play them together, 
then it wouldn't have worked. Meanwhile, it was their best, you know, they, it was their best duo. <laughs> right. <laughs> and meanwhile, they have, they've tried plenty of units that don't work. They, they played yes. Hart and Barrett together a whole lot for a unit that got killed when it was playing together, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it, whether it might not have worked in the long term, I think the historical evidence probably does weigh on that side. But I think the fact that it hasn't happened doesn't mean that it can't happen. Can't happen. Um, I think that those are two different things, and I think you, it did deserve a shot to see if they could have made it work. And I don't think, given the the players that they had on their team, not playing it more was doing the team a disservice, not just doing the player a disservice. Oh. Like. The, the idea that they were leaving one of their best combinations to p- barely play together, like if their whole thing was we want to win as many games as possible, which since Tibbs has arrived, that it has been and always will be like we are trying to win every single game. And I think that they were putting themselves at a disadvantage relative to where they could have been given the players on the team by not leaning into that more often. But again, like you said, like if they weren't going to do that, which they clearly weren't, they went and got like the guy that you should go and target for what they wanted to do. And it's, it's hard to be too mad about that, which is why the first thing I said was like, I'm mad at them for not letting me be mad about the quickly trade. I, in like the, literally a week before the trade, I finally got on the, the, the hill of like start quickly and heart put, DiVincenzo and RJ on the bench. And that's that's not a knock at DiVincenzo, but I, I just I never thought it made sense to start quickly and RJ together, which is why it's like if you're gonna start quickly, then I, I thought it made sense. And plus I think RJ is destined to be a six man on like a good team, but that's I guess a different conversation for another day. I think it also would have been tough to to start quickly and Dante together. Um you just I don't think that would have been that's just too it would small. Be so small. Um yeah, exactly. which can work in theory, but it's also like Tibbs that really was a, a step way too far um, yeah. for him um, for him which like look I, I I'm always again I'm always his defender like there's reasons he's the way he is like if you if you do yeah, get I push back you, against yeah. people who tell me that he's a bad coach he's clearly not a bad coach he's just he has certain ways that he wants to do things he has foundational beliefs that he's never going to abandon like he's never gonna not play a rim protecting center it's just never nope. gonna happen like you know, he's never going to not run an offense that, for the most part, is designed around getting one-on-one opportunities for whoever he thinks the best players on the court are. Like that yep. is going to be what his offense is designed around. Like there are just foundational tenets that he has, and he clearly is a, a floor raiser of teams for the regular season. Um, I do think that he presents some handicaps in postseason uh, settings that are hard to work around especially in specific matchups but that doesn't make him a bad coach it's just it makes him a flawed coach like basically like, every other coach <laughs> that's ever existed i, was about I to do say, think like, we 20- shouldn't at least talk about the 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 team by the way as it's now constructed like i'd love to talk about what we saw I, for, I was, not not to commandeer your own podcast but no i would no uh, i, I, I want to get to talk about the way things actually fit now i i that's where i was going to next so yeah ananobi man I get what he doesn't do and like what he doesn't do is like, that's, that's real. And it will impact their ability to sustain with now, like two of their four, like quote unquote initiators, not on the team anymore, but man watching that dude. I mean, I, what, what I've called myself doing recently is like, instead of, 
I, sh- I, I I've kind of stopped saying like a player like OG Ananobi because I really don't know that there's anyone out there. like how many guys out there who can guard like the we saw it last last night like can guard Towns on one possession and guard Anthony Edwards on the next like I don't know that there's anyone else who could really do it serviceably. What's the most interesting thing to you about Ananobi on this team moving forward on offense on defense like personality wise anything? Um, I mean, the most interesting thing is like whether he can avoid the fate of Luol Deng of having to go to like the hospital because he gets overused. Um, <laughs> like, you know, the dude was going to play 40 plus minutes in his he, first game. He played 20 minutes absolutely. in the first half. He yeah. was on his way to playing, I think, 41 minutes if he didn't foul out. Like, yeah. he is going to need like to live in an oxygen tank or something. Um, no, I, I, I thought that uh, Benji made a good point. Uh, that I saw, I can't remember if it was yesterday or today on Twitter too, that it sort of frees DiVincenzo to go back to the things that mm. he should be doing defensively yeah. as opposed to guarding the best guy on the perimeter. He can now like hound passing lanes. It locks the starting lineup into place, I think, in a way that having Barrett in the starting lineup very obviously didn't. Not just yeah. because OG is a lower usage player and a better shooter, but also because you can put him on whoever the best perimeter threat is like the difference between what happened when he was guarding Anthony Edwards in that first game. And when anyone else was guarding Anthony Edwards in that first game, he was treating Anthony Edwards or sorry, he was treating Josh Hart and Don Didi Vincenzo. Like he would treat you or me guarding him yesterday. And and you, I want to commit. I have to commend you because I hadn't seen anybody explicitly write that and you pointed that out in your newsletter after the game. So thank you for that. Cause I, I actually forgot to even, I was just like, he made his life difficult. No, it went further than that. It's like Edwards couldn't really do much on him when Edwards had anybody else on him. He had, yeah, I mean, he was absolutely like deep frying, sauteing, whatever kind of cooking you want to say he was doing to those other guys. Like, it was like they weren't even there. Um, And then obviously, you know, you mentioned he guarded towns also. Like I was listening to Fred's podcast earlier. He had a possession on towns where towns was isolating at the the top of the key and tried to drive through Ananobi and just literally could not like he physically could not move OG Ananobi on the drive and tried to shoot a little fadeaway and was, you know, pitching for a foul that just didn't exist. And that was the play where, um, you know, I think Hart kicked it ahead to OG who then, took out on the fast break and kicked it to Brunson in the corner, swing to Dante, swing back to Hart for three. Like that's the kind of thing that you're going to see quite often from him. Like the, the rarity of his skill set as a defender is, is really, really notable. Um, that That's why I've, I've loved him as a player for such a long time. Um, and obviously why the Knicks have been targeting him for, for quite some time. It would have been really interesting to see, what would have happened if whatever deal they were talking about at last year's deadline had come to fruition, because obviously they spent so much of the the heat series looking for anyone that could guard Jimmy Butler. Um, they wound oh, up using okay. Hart and Grimes. Um, OG presents, I think a much different challenge. Um, I took that, what you started to say there, I took, I was going to take it a different way until you finished your thought. I was going to, I thought you were going in the direction of like, if because the deal, the rumor deal included neither quickly right. or Barrett, and it was just like they were trying to get him for three firsts in Fournier's contract, which like picturing OG in like in the same starting lineup as Barrett 
that's the thing I can never get past. Yeah. Which is why I didn't think the trade was going to happen because I'll just be, I'll say it. I think I've said this actually numerous times on the pod. Like, I didn't think the, I didn't know how, let me rephrase that. I didn't know how interested the Raptors would be in RJ Barrett. And honestly, we still don't know how interested the Raptors are really in RJ Barrett, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe we'll find out. But I think yeah, if you watched the Sportsnet broadcast of the Raptors well, game last night, you would think that RJ Barrett was the guy that they traded for. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, you know, not that I've had a ton of interaction with Masai in the past, but knowing the way that he thinks, I would not imagine that RJ was the guy that they decided to target here. Um, yeah, we can leave it at that. We can leave it at that. Um, the thing that I'm most excited about and most surprised by is going to be the most uh, like novice basketball take of all time. But I was completely and totally enamored after watching last night. And it's, it's this is a sign that I just haven't watched enough Raptors basketball. I had either forgot or never realized to begin with how he, when he powers up for a dunk at the rim and like his two footed leaping ability. Holy shit. I mean, that dude. And that's just like, I feel like that's something that will come in handy one way or another to say nothing of the cutting and stuff, which, again, you pointed out very, very well in your in your write up. He's also just so strong. Like yeah. the, the town's play, I think exemplified that too. Like you just, you really just can't move him, And that's a, a pretty rare capability for a wing. Like he's built like he's six, seven, six, eight. He's got to be like two forty something close to that. Like I think they list him at two thirty two, but I don't know. I don't know if I believe that. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a, a big, big dude. Um, I think the other interesting thing I saw yesterday was that they staggered him and Brunson to play together with, I guess, what you would now call as the new second unit. Yeah. Even though the way you thought of the second unit before was like whenever quickly was out there, but McBride was not out there with the second unit because yeah. Brunson was the, the non Brunson minutes are going to be an adventure offensively unless so- and until they find somebody else. Can we stay on that for a sec? So I, yeah. I think I I talked myself through it <laughs> as I was doing the live stream last night, which is like, okay, what's here's where I arrived at. What's the best offensive unit you could put on the floor that contains Miles McBride, right? And I, I think it probably has to also include Brunson. Otherwise, you don't have anybody to like run the offense. So, but but then why are you playing Brunson? Right, I know. I know Brunson. Yeah. I, or excuse me. Uh, sorry, not why are you playing Brunson? Why are you playing McBride? Sorry, mixed up my my uh, point guards. Even though they're not that similar, because no, like which, by the way, like if they don't make a move for another like ball handling guard, I would not be surprised if McBride didn't play that much or at all in playoff series. Oh, and they were just well, like Dante is the backup point guard. I would not I be mean, surprised if that was a thing. Again, I don't. I didn't watch a ton of the Bucks in the season in question, but I know there was that there was one season where he was in Milwaukee where he was kind of like a de facto point guard for them. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? Yeah. So like, and I, you know, Benji pointed this out last night that McBride isn't. A, it's not really a point guard. He's just like a small wing. That's how they use him. Right. That's how he plays. And it's not like he initiates anything other than maybe throwing an entry pass or whatever. Um, and he even tried to do that once last night and it didn't work out so well. Um, so like, so if he's, so the, so the premise is that he has to be on the floor and Brunson has to be off the floor. Like what's the best offensive lineup? Well, Randall, obviously I think, and I think even 
DiVincenzo, but then, so then that means you're leaving DiVincenzo out there for that much longer. But I think they want to get Grimes on there in the first quarter. So that's tough. And then, and then they always run hard out there as like the first sub. So like, and you're small. If yeah. you have DiVincenzo, Grimes, and McBride out there, which Tibbs isn't going to want to do, like it, it gets. But then Hart doesn't come in until the top of the, the beginning of the second quarter. Like that's why. Like the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, yeah, I guess this is kind of the best thing that makes sense now. But that really that leads me to my next question for you, which is, do, well, I guess a, do you think this is tenable? And b, if not, like, is there someone? I think everybody in Knicks fandom has their eye on someone at this point. Are you more like, let's take a little swing? Are you like, I want to see Malachi Fling get a chance? Or do you, are you on like one of those people on like the Murray train? Which, by the way, I'm not, I'm not like completely against, but I just something I can't get over with the Murray idea in terms of the just the fit. And like, is that really the best? Is that really your best use of assets? Of course, I don't know what it costs to get him. Anyway, your thoughts. Yeah, I'm on, I think, the the take a small swing at someone kind of train, I think. Um, mostly because I don't know that the upside for them to make like a real conference finals, finals type of run is there this year anyway, if Mitchell Robinson's going to be out. That's a and great then point. like if you're tra- if you're going like. Let's go get, you know, Jordan Clarkson or Murray or whoever, like. I don't know how much that necessarily changes your life this year. If you don't have the guy that's going to anchor your defense to be good enough and to make your offensive rebounding good enough to put you on a real run anyway. So I don't know that I would be on the, like, let's go all in for whoever kind of thing. I'm also on the, like their next move for whoever it is. I would just be aiming much higher than DeJounte Murray. Or Jordan Clarkson or whoever it is. Like to me, if you really saved your powder for whatever this next move is, you have to go get a guy that by himself makes you a contender. Like that's the guy you should be making a move for next. And I don't think DeJounte Murray or like even Donovan Mitchell satisfies that criteria to me. Um, The, The Mitchell versus Murray conversation is one that I'm, I don't even know if it is like it's, who knows? Like so much shit could happen where, I mean, obviously I think Murray's available, but you know, with the clutch thing, who knows? And then Mitchell, like, I don't think Donovan Mitchell is available. Like, Oh, not right now. I mean, but like, yeah, no, I totally, but uh, you know, it could all change, you know, one, one sweltering day in July um, (laughs) is all it's going to take. I don't know. I'm, I'm like very, (laughs) I'm like very wishy washy right now in terms of what I I don't really have a firm opinion on what I, what I want the next thing to be. I kind of, I want to see this version of the team for a while. That's the honest truth. I think it also depends on like what you think about the, you know, the Robinson issue I presented. Like, I think that affects the timeline of whatever the next move is. And I think it also depends on like, do they want to get something for Fournier's contract by the deadline at all costs? Or are they willing to say like, we're going to try to pick up that team option for next year to get something this summer. And do they know what that thing is? Because I don't think you can justify picking up that team option and then taking the contract into the season. I think it has to be a thing where you pick it up and you have your deal ready for whatever it is in July. Um, So those two timing things I think are sort of connected and that affects, I think what you want the next move to be and when you want it to happen. And how confident 
are they slash how good a read of the landscape do they have? Because not hold on, not last year. No, whatever. So with the Rose one where like there was the there's been reporting that they like thought of picking it up. But as you just as you just pointed out, like the deal wasn't there. So like. I, I would argue that at where they're at in their team building progression and also where the league is at, where the say, second apron penalty is really coming for teams starting next year. Like they need to know before the deadline, like obviously to the extent that they can, like they better have a good freaking idea of like, if we don't move this deal now, like we are going to have a good use for it come uh, whatever it ends up being like June, you know, June 30th or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I agree with that. I think they're also like the I would imagine that if they thought they had a Mitchell deal last summer, that they would have picked up that Rose option to include him in that trade. And part of the reason that they didn't pick up that option was because they didn't think that they had a Mitchell deal. And I think part of the reason that I was against a Mitchell deal last offseason was because I didn't think that they were in a position where making that move for him made them a real contender. I think that they're more in that position now that they have Ananobi on the team, but I don't know that Mitchell is the right guy to target in that situation because of the various things that have, you know, happened since then. And it also, I think presents a similar, like Mitchell is a better player, but it presents a similar, like two small guards sort of conundrum. And that was again, part of the reason that I was against uh, the Mitchell trade in the first place. And I wrote about that when Cleveland traded for him of like, can you build an elite defense or a good enough defense to contend when you have two small guards like that. And I think part of the reason that it made more sense for Cleveland than it did for the Knicks at the time was because they had Evan Mobley and Jared Allen who could then form the foundation of an elite defense, which is exactly what happened for them last year. Yes. And the Knicks Mitchell Robinson playing like he was early in the season. You can do that, but he hadn't been playing like that to that point in his career. And also, he has not been able to stay on the floor, which I think is the more important issue. Well, I'm excited to see that. It really is such a shame that Mitch is gone. But even with like hard, look, Hardenstein is not Mitch. I don't want to make him out to be Mitch. He's not. But like he, I don't know what, there has to be like not one level above serviceable. But like, what's two? Like, what's two levels above service? But like, that's what it's that's like what, a quadruple A kind of thing, where you know, between triple <laughs> A and majors in yeah. terms of like a center. Like, he's better than a good backup center, but he's oh, yeah. also not like a good starter. He's like a fine starter. He yeah, I, and specifically in like how their entire defense is predicated on like how they guard pick and rolls and like Mitch's ability to like disrupt that and like cover everybody's ass on every fucking possession or not every possession, but a lot of possessions because they have like a lot of weak perimeter defenders. Um, what he was doing earlier this year was a level beyond what we had ever seen from him. And it's insane. Uh, frankly, a level that I didn't think he was going to get to defensively. It, you know, I'm going to grab the tissues. Cause like I, Mitch is my, <laughs> I love Mitch so much. And he's like, cause he's such a goofball and he's, you know, he's progressed every step of the way. And I'm wish I am genuinely wishing him a, a speedy uh, and full recovery. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before I get you out of here, I've kept you too long as it is. I want to just spend a minute on, um, I referenced it earlier, but like there's, there's like a lot of basketball content out there. And yet oftentimes I find myself like, man, I wish there was a little bit more like really, really, truly elite basketball content out there. Um, you produce some of the elite basketball content that um, exists on the internet. Um, again, the newsletter is called Last Night in Basketball. You can get it on Substack. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's, it's literally, it's like, it's what it says. It's last night in basketball. Like you like watch lead pass and you write about things that are interesting to you. And then if something big happens, you'll focus on it. It's like exactly what a person who, even if you're a fan of a team, but you want a little bit more on the league and like at a, at a in-depth level, um, it's the perfect thing. So I just want to like, ask you like, what are, give me like a thing or two things that are interesting to you around the NBA right now, or you know, moving forward, like towards the trade deadline, like anything, I'm just going to tee up. Yeah, man. Uh, first of all, thank you for saying all that. I really appreciate it. Um, I've actually coincidentally had a bunch of Nick stuff on there lately, not just about yeah. the trade, but one of the things that I do at the site is called three things. I it's exactly what it sounds like. Just literally three things that I noticed on league pass. And I did something for today on both OG's debut and Quickly's debut. And then on Mike Conley, who has for a very long time been one of my favorite guys in the league. And it's just like, we're the, we're the same age. And I've talked to him a lot throughout his time in the league. And to see him doing what he's doing at 36 years old, shooting a career high from three, 45.5% from three this season on what so far has been the best team in the West. It just like warms my heart so much. And he's doing stuff that just like classic old guy shit. Like I watched them against <laughs> Oklahoma city last week and he just, he literally, there was a possession where he just directed all four of the other guys on the court around and like moved Jaden McDaniels into the corner, called Rudy Gobert up for the screen, moved Nas Reed over to the other wing and just ran a pick and roll, swung it to the corner, got swung to Nas Reed and he hit a three. And then he like missed a floater and like did the whole Pablo Prigioni sneakiness thing behind Josh Giddy, <laughs> stole the ball, got himself a layup later in the game. He's guarding, um, Kaysan Wallace at, on a fast break, runs him off the line and strips him on the way to the rim and t creates a fast break going the other way. And it's just like 36 years old. The guy weighs like maybe 150 pounds and has throughout his entire career. Um, and he's just still doing this stuff on one of the best teams in the West. Like, but then I also, so something that I have going up tomorrow on Minnesota is like, why isn't their offense that good? Like they're 19th in the NBA in offense. And Anthony Edwards is working on like one of the better offensive seasons you've ever seen. They have two big men working on basically 50, 40, 90 seasons. I was about to say, Cat's is still not very good. Cat's, I, I know he's, he started slow, not like Randall's slow, but like he started kind of slow. Man, that dude's yeah, picking he's up. like percentage points away from 50, 40, 90, like just based on the free throws. And I think Nas Reed is a few free throw attempts away from qualifying to be 50, 40, 90, but has the percentages. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they've got that. They've got Edwards. Conley is shooting unbelievably well. Why isn't their offense good? So that's something that I have going up 
I'm excited tomorrow. to read that. Um, and then no, actually, hold on. I'm going to pivot. Uh, this is the last thing, and then we get you out of here. I promise. Um, biggest threat to Denver in the West? Do you since we just talked about Minnesota and we just saw Minnesota? Do you think it's the Wolves? And if not the Wolves, who give me like one or two other teams? Yeah. So I'm on the. I don't think it's the Wolves train because so. I cover the whole league, so I don't watch every game of specific teams. I try to catch as many teams, as many games of as many teams as I can. And obviously, especially of the best teams. I happen to have caught the two games that Minnesota's defense has looked at its worst this season. Mm-hmm. And I think Oklahoma City and Phoenix both tested their defense in the exact same way. And it just looked so easy to pull them out of what they want to do defensively. And I want to see if more teams try that and what kind of answers that they have. And so one of the other things I do uh, at last night in basketball is that I focus on a specific player or team and what they do really well. I did a video about Julius Randle a couple weeks back and like why he's been so much better since that disgusting stretch at the start of the season that had us thinking like, is this the worst season in the history of American professional basketball <laughs> through six which, games? It was. <laughs> yeah. Which at the time it was. Yeah. And since then, yeah. so one of the things that I'm focusing on is like, I'm going to do for this Friday is why I think even if they don't make a move that Oklahoma city might be that team, that's the biggest threat. Yeah. And it's because of Shay and Chet, and all the different ways that they can test you with those guys and the guys that they can surround them with. And I'm kind of talking myself into Oklahoma city is the next best team in the West. Dude. I don't think I've been as surprised. I shouldn't be. I shouldn't have been surprised. It's a bad job by me that I'm surprised. I don't think I've been surprised by any single player in the league this year, as much as Chet Holmgren. Um, like the degree to which I'm all in on him is scary. Like I, from their first game, I, after their first game, I did another thing on like the, for the three things I noticed on league pass, like the way he's able to contest shots at the rim and not foul despite dudes pushing him under the rim because he weighs like as much as I do and is over a foot taller than me. Like it makes no sense what he's able to do as a defender. It's so special. Yeah, I don't. I did because I'm uh, I grew up reading Bill Simmons, and so I'm a little sucker for oh, yeah. doing my own my own version. Yeah, right, my own version of like what he used to do. So I always like whether I put it out or whether I even kind of just like do it for myself, like do my own little trade value thing. I think there's an argument that uh, OKC has two of the top ten trade value guys in the league right now. I think I don't that, even think it's an argument. Like, <laughs> how many guys would you trade those two guys I for? Like, I. I I, I think let's just say that I think they're probably happy with what they have. And, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, like, I think goes. it's also obviously when Banyama is like one of the biggest freaks to ever enter the NBA because Chet didn't play last year. We didn't get to see how much of a similar kind of freak that he is. And he sure, got a little yeah. bit overshadowed coming into this season. Like, the combination of skills that he has, like obviously when Porzingis came into the league, he got the unicorn label. I think it much more applies to Chet and Wembanyama than it did to him because of what those guys can do <sighs> off the dribble as uh, offensive creators. Yes. I, and Chet defensively, well, there, I mean, Chet and Wemby defensively, we could talk about this for a very long time. And Andrew's like, hey, John, you're killing me here. Um, <laughs> no, but, that's a good place to bring home because it does it like it's, I'm happy you brought up KP because it now makes me think like there's always going to be the world where he doesn't get injured and like 
you know, defensively, what would that have looked like? But as you say, offensively, it was just, it was different. such a good defender anyway, though. Like he, he really, ha- dude, like yeah. God bless. But I also, is that not a little bit Boston? Because they could tell him just stand there and put your arms up. Like he doesn't really yeah. have to do much more than that on so many possessions. He was really good defensively. I think in Washington too, though, like last year he was, sure. nobody watched the wizards last year. <laughs> I barely yeah. watched them. Like, I probably the only team I watched less than the Wizards last year was the Rockets was because it was like offensive to my soul to watch the Rockets last year. It's like oh. the most disgusting basketball I've ever seen in my life. Um, but yeah, no, KP has turned into like exactly the kind of player that I think you would have hoped he could be. But I think he also and he talked about this earlier this season. He realized that being the guy offensively is not the right role for him playing off of those guys and leveraging what he can do as a shooter and as a, you know, like a switch mismatch guy in the posts. And even as a guy like in the dunker spot and as a roller and things like that, and then just being a guy who completely erases what other teams can do in the paint has turned into the best role for him. And he's found like the, the perfect team to just do the things that he's good at, which I think that's a really rare thing for a player to find. Like Aaron Gordon, I think, in the same way in Denver. That's a great call. Yeah. Like when you find that guy where you could put him in the role, and I think that's the hope for the Knicks with OG to bring it all full circle is like he only needs to do the things that he's good at and not do the things that he's not good at. That's that's the hope for what you get with him, at least. It is the hope. And the thing that I wonder if it will be different is – Aaron Gordon was touted as the guy and kind of got an opportunity to be the guy in Orlando. KP obviously had that experience in New York. And like, I guess to a lesser, I mean, obviously he was with Luca, but like there was still a spotlight on him in, in Dallas. Like OG has clearly, or I shouldn't say clearly, reportedly always wanted more of that opportunity. He's never really gotten that opportunity. Although he, I know he put up a lot of points a couple seasons ago or more points than he is now. I don't know. He seems to like being in New York, right? That can't hurt. Um, I think he will get a chance to handle more usage than he did in Toronto, if only because someone needs to soak up the usage that was going to Barrett and quickly, which was a lot. So I think he can stretch himself a little bit offensively without being the guy. Sure. Yeah. Um, I think in future games, people will see that when he does try to stretch himself as an individual creator, it can get a little bit clunky it doesn't always go that well he's not a guy that like reads the game on the move at a high level and is going to like make that pass on the move and when the you know the defense is changing that's not yeah. really his game so but nice, he will be the guy though. where if someone else is going to make that pass he's going to be yeah. the guy to capitalize it he knows yeah. where to be you saw yeah. that right away like he's such a smart player on both ends of the court um well isn't that what like so I talk about ending on a very s- simple note, but isn't that what like basketball is all about in terms of team building? It's like, how can you, how can you maximize then the skill sets on your roster and best complement them to everything else? It's obviously easier when you have a Nikola Jokic. Um, well, there's only one of him. So maybe it's a bad example, whatever. When you have like a, <laughs> like a, true, a truly elite, like guy who like checks like so many boxes or all the boxes and like the Knicks don't have that, but, um, I still like what they're doing and I'm excited to see where it goes from here, even if it will not contain, um, you know, in, in our case, Emmanuel quickly, these guys, we, we were more f- a big fan of, but other people big, big fan of RJ and, and that's a loss for them. So we'll see. 
Yeah, I uh, I liked the Emmanuel quickly trade more than I thought I would, and uh, I knew I would like a trade that netted them OG Ananobi because he's been one of my favorites. So that's not a surprise to me. The fact that it happened in the same trade um, is really interesting, wow. and um, you know, I'm curious to see. My dog is going nuts right now. Um, <laughs> We're done. <laughs> <laughs> listen you've been fantastic um i will say it so you don't have to because your dog is harassing you last night in basketball you could literally go to last night in basketball.com that's the website or again you could just search up last night in basketball Substack. it'll take you right to the page um like it there's not enough uh people who are fans of of the league i i I think we should all spend more time, I include myself, spend more time just like consuming really, really smart basketball content. You put out really smart basketball content. Thank you for doing so. Thank you for coming on this podcast. Did I miss anything or can I let you go to your dog? Nah, man, you're good. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I The feelings on the work are reciprocated. Uh, reciprocated. Um, I love reading the newsletter. And uh, it's a good thing that I reached out after the, the RJ Barrett newsletter last week of like, hey, how do I like change the way I subscribe? Because then this happened. We got this on the schedule. And you know what? That reminds me. The thing I responded to you with after we figured out how to do that was hopefully by the time we do this podcast, Emmanuel quickly will be getting enough minutes that it won't come up as a topic. And that is going to happen, but not for the reason that we thought. But he didn't even get enough minutes because he got in foul trouble. Last right, night. he got he got four fouls in the first half <laughs> in his first game. I couldn't believe that. Uh, that's <laughs> never happened in his career, I don't think. Uh, and Jared, uh, you're the best man. Go go read Jared. Follow Jared. He's awesome. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk again soon, man. Okay. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, it was a lot of fun for me. I. Don't know if I, I forget if I said at the top of the pod, but this is the first time that Jared and I have ever actually gotten a chance to do a pod together. Um, it's always fun when I get to interact with someone who I have been a fan of for uh, such a long time. And uh, Jared's like great guy. Like he, he's helped me out with like stuff offline a lot. And uh, he, I, I will just say one more time without him being like in front of me on the, the screen here you're not going to find better content out there about the NBA than him. So uh, definitely if you're interested in reading a little bit more about the league at large, last night in basketball, again, on Substack, check it out. Um, and I think that's all for me. We got a whole, obviously week, the rest of the week full of content, lots of fun stuff, uh, pregames, postgames, the whole thing. We look forward to bringing it to you. And uh, thanks everybody. Take care. 